Well, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Devin Mitchum. I'm one of the staff pastors here. Uh, I'm filling in um, for my father, who is our lead pastor, Pastor Jason. Uh, church, good news, they're on their way home right now. Yeah, so it is, um, it is a long way home. They're, so they're traveling right now, and I pick them up in Charlotte at 3 o'clock tomorrow. So it's like 28 hours of travel. It's absolutely insane. But they're on the way home, excited to get them home. I know that they miss home like crazy. They miss all of you like crazy. I'm just excited for them to be here. I definitely uh, honor uh, my father, honor our pastor. It's, well, because of him that we get to do things like Kairos and the vision the Lord gave him almost 12 years ago now. So very thankful to be even where we are today. Um, I'm going to start out by reading uh, out of the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 18. Colossians 4, 18, it says, Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Today I'm going to preach a sermon um, that the Lord gave me called The Limit of a Limitless God. The Limit of a Limitless God. Let's just pray real quick. Lord, Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for allowing each one of us to be here in this house today. Lord, I pray that, that every heart is softened, that every mind is opened. I pray that you give me the ability to speak this the way that you've given it to me. In Jesus' name I pray. Church said? Amen. Amen. Um, moment of vulnerability here. I am really nervous. I get nervous a lot, but like I'm really extra nervous about preaching this right now. Um, I generally find that that's because I don't want to say what needs to be said. Um, Pastor Rodney told me that five years ago. Um, as I wrote this message, the Lord convicted me. Um, he convicted me, changed me. And um, if you would, just give me 30 minutes to do my best to deliver this. I'm probably going to stumble through this one a good bit. Anyone noticed how vile it seems like our culture has become? I mean, like, just disgusting, right? Like, I'm, like, we can't even be in the same room with people that we disagree politically with. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I, I mean, case in point, like, like, last election cycle, I had to actually just get off Facebook completely, and I have never returned because of the way that I saw Christians... God-fearing Christians talk, and not just to other Christians, to people outside the church. Like, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wait a minute. So the world in its nature is going to be divisive, because, you know, the enemy is the author of confusion, all those things, trying to confuse us, divide us up, all that. But, like, what happens when the church itself, God's own people, become equally as divisive? Because honestly, we're a lot of the same way. It's the, it's the reason that in the last, I don't know, 120 years, how many different denominations are there? We all believe the same thing about Jesus, but then there's all the stuff that we're just like, well, because you don't agree the exact same way, I can't even fellowship in the house of the Lord with you. Therefore, boom, I'm going to start my own thing. And I wish I was kidding. But we as a church are so incredibly divisive. We're, we're really, like, as a revivify, I'm going to talk about our house for a second. 
Revivified Church is really good at worship. Now, hold on. Now, we're getting better at praise. If you remember the difference in praise and worship, we're getting there. We are light years from where we were 12 months ago. We're getting better at praise. We're good at worship. I'm pretty sure that we like preaching, I hope. But what about being the church outside of the hours of 10 and 11.30 a.m. on Sundays? And I'm not even talking about going around sinning and spreading your wild oats all over town. I'm actually just talking about what this word right here says to be as a Christian. See, because being good at the practices of church is not the same thing as being a Christian. We're really good at fellowship and coffee hour, right? We're really good at getting in here and getting our, our crying on when worship gets real good. So the practices of being a Christian we're really good at, but are we actually good at being the church when we're not here? See, because we pray, we, we, we pray things like, God, I just want your will to be done. Look, I'm a church kid. Can't tell you how many thousands, maybe even to ten thousands. Of, I need to add it up one day, my estimate of how many church services I've sat through in my life. I've been around this thing a long time. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard, let your will be done. Just your will. Did you know that God's will can't be done on earth if his church is only his church one day a week? You want the will of God to be, I want the will of God to be done, right? That's my prayer. God, let your will be done. But if I only act the part on 90 minutes on Sunday, can God actually use me to accomplish his will? And here's the other thing we pray. I heard this a lot is I just want to align my will with his. What? (laughs) Align my will with his? Hold on, hold on, hold on. If I'm saying I want to align my will with his, that means I want to, here's God's will and I'm going to align my will. Do you see the issue here? My will shouldn't even be in the picture. My will should be so far separated, it's not even there. What is my will? I don't have a will. God, align my heart with your will. Align my heart with the thing that you want, Lord. Can she be my wife if we only talked one day a week for 90 minutes? Would you be done with that? See? I was actually having a conversation with uh, my buddy Preston in from Florida today. Having a conversation over lunch with him a couple days ago. We were talking about you know, what it means to be the bride of Christ. and If we're the bride of Christ and we really are only even acting like his bride or doing what he told us to do as his bride, following the commandments he gave us to be as the church 90 minutes a week, then do you realize that when we're not, we're actually committing adultery against God? Pastor Bunny said earlier that our vision at Revivify Church is to bring people into a fully developed relationship with Jesus. But that is something that has to be lived out so much farther and longer than 10 to 11.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. This, what we do here on Sundays, is not the pinnacle. It's the celebration. It's, it's the best. It's, hey, we, we got to do this all week long, and we're here to worship again. We're here to celebrate again. 
But this isn't everything. Hear me, church. Sunday mornings is not everything. It's actually a very small part. And I had to repent because for a long time, I lived Sunday to Sunday. I really did. Every Sunday when we left church, I looked forward to nothing else but that next Sunday. And I feel like for years, God was going, but you do realize that I have a job for you on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and Friday night, Friday night and Saturday. But instead, I, 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 I'm like, I'm here. I'm at my favorite thing. But the favorite thing should be the catalyst for us into the rest of our week. See, I've even heard people say, I like the, I've had someone tell me this, I like the idea of Jesus, but I don't really like the church. That's actually a pretty common thing to hear. That I, I like, like, everything Jesus says, you argue with it, it's not wrong. It's actually good teaching. Pastor Bunny and I talked about this one time. If you took the fact that he's, you know, God and all out of it, the man was a great teacher. We could live by a lot of the principles, he's, all the principles he taught. But I, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. Church, it is a problem if his very own people inside the church look so different from him that people can distinguish the two. If they can look at church folk and go, you talk like that? You're, wait a minute, hold on. You said what? I, I don't care that it's the president of the party that you don't like. Ooh, you feel that? It's worth talking about because it's what we do. And here's the thing, guess what? It's 2022 and elections are coming back. Are we going to be the church during the next cycle? Honestly, are we going to be the church during the next cycle? Because coming through midterms, even Instagram got a little crazy. I saw it. People who don't know Jesus should not be able to look at the church and, and, and see the difference between the things that Jesus teaches and his people. This right here, if they come into this place not knowing him, never having a relationship with him, this should be the place, the catalyst that that happens from. They should be so, when, when they see God's people and how different God's people are, that should be the thing that goes, oh my gosh, there's something here. There's something different that's here. So what's the church supposed to look like? Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. And then I love verse 3. Paul is such a savage. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. Can we read this last line together? You are not that important. And here's the thing, church. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You might not like this next part. He actually is talking to the church. He's talking to the church of Galatia. Church folk, Christians, people that say, I love Jesus. You are not that <laughs> important. Share each other's burdens. Do we do that? And here's one quick way to answer that question. If Ask yourself, whose burden am I sharing? Can you answer the question, whose burden am I sharing? Romans chapter 12, 3. Uh, chapter 12, verse 13, excuse me. 
When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And here's the one that I really did not know if I was going to read. Because in the South especially, we don't like this kind of talk. But I'm just going to go for it because this is the word of God and we must submit to the word of God. Amen? Acts chapter 2, starting verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Stop before you go to the next one. You're still there? Cool. When's the last time you shared a meal with somebody outside of Sunday? A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. This is the Bible. Just remind you, this is not Devon. This is the Bible. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This proposes two questions. One, can I hear from God? I'm going to explain why. You ever heard from God? Am I in relationship enough with Jesus to actually be able to hear from God? And number two, if Jesus told me to sell everything I have and give it to someone in need, would I be willing to do that? You know what the question, I'm going to be real with you for a second. I really love my truck. I really do. I'll be honest with you guys. I like really love my truck. It's in the shop all the time. I don't care. I just like, I don't know. I, it's the truck I always wanted. I found, I got a great deal on it in Alabama one day, Roll Tide. And I just, I don't know. I went and bought the truck and I love it. And then the Lord literally, as I'm reading to this said, but what if I told you to keep your truck away? And that sounds so like, I would do it for Jesus. But I was like, whoa, my truck? And we're laughing about it for a second, but I'll be, I mean, I know my uncle, who was a huge boater. I mean, we, he, man, loved like my Uncle Wesley. Man, give a shirt off his back for anybody. Had a missionary come in who was working at some islands. Uh, I couldn't tell you where. I just know they were going from island to island. Needed a boat. He took the missionary out on the lake. When he left, he handed him the keys and said, tell me where we need to ship it. And it was a nice boat. I was on that boat a lot. <laughs> but that's real for a second. Something that you worked hard for, that, that yeah, you, you did. You made it happen. Would you be willing to sell that thing and give the money to someone who, need, who needed it? I'm asking real questions because this is what the first church did. They sold everything that they had to be sure that no one in their community of believers went without. So the hard question is, is, as the church, am I willing to sell everything that I have? Would I, if God, I mean, honestly, if, if Jesus himself was like, dude, you've got to give it all away. Give everything away. Would I do it? And I'm going to be even more honest with you. As much as I want to sit here as Pastor Devin and tell you that I would, that would be the hardest thing to hand someone the keys to that truck especially with prices of vehicles right now. 
We need to stop praying for God's will if the church isn't going to be the church. See, the title of this message today is The Limit of a Limitless God. The limit of our limitless God is us. His church. If God's own people are not willing to be who we are supposed to be, then we are limiting what God will do here on earth. Think about all the great movements that have happened. Go, go back and research the, 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 the there's, do people say this was movement, that was movement. I mean, arguably there are five that have happened just in American culture. Do you know where those things started? With God's people. He didn't just like send an angel down and be like, all right, you go start that revival. He could, but you know what he did? He entrusted people just like you and me to get it together, to follow what's in this book, and he sparked revivals out of that. God uses his church to accomplish his will. Hear me. God uses his church to accomplish his will. You and I. He uses you and I to accomplish his will. So if we're not willing to be the church... Now, I, when I say be the church, I'm talking about the church according to Scripture. If we're not willing to be the church, then how is his will going to be accomplished here? Revival does not happen through the hearts of the complacent. It, here's, here's the deal. If you are perfectly fine walking in here every single week, and just it's church as usual, and you really can't wait to get to lunch, and good start to your week, hoorah, I, the unfortunate news is that revival is not going to happen through you. Because revival starts with those who are desperate for Jesus. And family, if I'm desperate for him, then there is not anything that I'm not going to do. There's nowhere I won't go to be who he's called me to be. Because hear me, church, this is not easy. Being a real Christian, I'm talking a real follower of Jesus. He's going to ask you to do things that are really uncomfortable. At the beginning, we, we read this verse, Colossians 4.18. Here's my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. See, that's the last verse in the book of Colossians. Paul signs off this verse, when he signs off his letter to, to the church of Colossus. And if you read through Scripture, that last portion of Colossians chapter 4, he's just kind of addressing different people and kind of giving a, a long salutation of all the stuff. And then the last thing that he says to this church is, remember my chains. You know that when Paul wrote that letter to the church, you know he was in prison in Rome? He had every reason to complain about his circumstance. He was in prison for being who he was, Paul, the church planner. If you remember right, he was originally Saul. He went around killing Christians as a career, had this huge conversion, was blind, had scales on his eyes. The Lord healed it, all this stuff completely converted him. 
And then he went around from being the number one Christian killer to the number one church starter, the church planter. So Paul went from putting Christians in prison and killing them to being in, in prison himself. And if you ask me, that's not fair. If I was the judge and I looked at this situation, I would deem that not fair. It's not fair. But guess what? I'm not the judge. And neither are you. The Bible says that God alone is the judge and he does as he pleases. Because here's the thing, is that Paul actually understood that there was a bigger reason for him even being in prison. I think Paul, writing this off, he could have been like, and by the way, this prison sucks, and I got blisters on my feet from the shackles, and the food here is really terrible. Um, if you guys could send some people to, for visitation, I haven't seen anybody in a while, that'd be good. Uh, it's really hot down here, by the way, in the bottom of the cell, you know, because usually where they put Paul, you know, under the prison, all this stuff. He had every reason to complain about where he was at, but he didn't because Paul saw a greater purpose. Paul realized, I am a slave to Christ. He writes that all through the epistles. He talks about, I am a slave to the one who set me free. So if that means that I have to go to prison for him, that I have to be locked up for him, then lock me up here in my hands. Remember my chains. What he's saying is, is remember where I am now. I have been put right here in this unfair place, all for the cause of Christ. See, I believe that Paul, I believe he gave us a roadmap. I believe he wrote to them saying, remember my chains, because he, if the church was to look at that and read it, they would realize that it really doesn't matter what we go through. I can spin this around. I can use this for the, to leverage for the good of someone else. Remember my chains, church. His entire life, Paul, once he, was, once he was converted, Paul lived his life for the good of everyone else. Everything he did, every church he planted, everywhere he went was, was to tell more people about Jesus. I believe that Paul knew that his chains were less about him and more about the story of deliverance that would one day break the bondage of those who heard it. You may not even be in your trial for you right now. You may not even be in your storm for you right now. It may look really unfair to sit where you are. I've done everything you've asked of me, God. I've actually lived a pretty good Christian life. I've done, I've done all these things, and God still puts you in this place. But it may not be because of you. It may be that you need to come through this for someone else. That you need to learn what you're learning right now because there's going to be someone down the road that's going to need your story. And we have to quit being so selfish. Because there are people that need your story. There are people that need your testimony. But you've been stuck in this place for so long, you've lost complete sight of what God is trying to do through you. See, as Christians, when we lay down our lives for Jesus, we realize that it's not about us. I hate to break this news to you at this moment, but being a Christian is not about you. Me being a Christian is not about me. Me loving Jesus really has nothing to do with me. 
has everything to do with God. What do you want from me? God, who do you want me to be? God, what do you want me to say? God, where do you want me to go? I am completely sold out to living this life for you. Man, what would happen to a church of 250 people if we could grasp this? What would happen to this community if we could really, truly understand this concept? That this is not about me. Babe, I'm finishing. Um, I said at the beginning of the service because it's something we really believe, but we believe here at Revivify that this Bible right here, this Word of God, is infallible, is the ultimate authority. And in your life, if you're a Christian and go to churches, you're going to hear a lot of really good preaching. I hope you've heard some today, but that's, you know. You're going to hear a lot of preaching. But what's in these words right here is so much more powerful than any preaching you could ever hear. Now, I, hear me. I'm not saying that preaching is not important, that preaching is not powerful. The number one way that God talks to his people is through the preaching of the word. But these words right here have the ability to completely shape us, transform us, to change us, to mold us, only if we allow it. Because like I told you last week, we have a choice whether or not we're going to obey this. I can believe this is the word of God, but I can choose to disobey it as well. So I'm going to read a rather lengthy portion of scripture. I'm not going to ask you to follow along. I think they may have it on the screen, but ultimately what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to close your eyes and just let these words fall over you. So out of Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read all the way into Ephesians chapter 5. With the Lord's authority, I say this, and this is a letter to the church of Ephesus from Paul. This is to God's people. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for the good, hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. I'm read that again. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. He says that you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these, don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Church, there is no powerful, no more powerful word than those. He just gave us instructions and rules. He says, don't live this way if you're going to be God's people. Can we stand? I'm, I'm, I'm finishing. 